African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Uh, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And on DSTV, we're on Channel 802. Thank you for joining us there as well. Remember, you can stream us on www.channelafrica.co.za. You can uh, see us uh, on our cameras and also you can also listen to us live there. Today, we're looking at uh, tomorrow's Youth International. National Day. This is going to be a very vibrant conversation. We're going to be focusing on, uh, the, you know, the young person's uh, role in the development of the continent. And uh, before we get into that, we'll get our news from Anne Musa standing by. In the headline, Zambians vote in what's expected to be a bruising battle. South Sudan rejects U.S. proposal to send more peacekeepers to the country. And a terrorist suspect is killed by Canadian police after receiving terrorist threat tip-off. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Zambians are voting for a new president and legislators in what's expected to be a bruising battle. Tightly contested election campaigns have been marred by incidents of violence between President Edgar Lungo's supporters and those of his main rival, Hakiende Chilima. Ahead of the vote, the Election Commission issued an emergency statement describing the unrest as unprecedented and warning it had marred Zambia's historic record of peaceful elections. Shingai Nyoka reports from Lusaka. Polling stations opened at 6 a.m. this morning and Zambians are flocking in their numbers to vote. They will elect a president, members of parliament and councillors. They will also vote in a constitutional referendum on whether to amend the Bill of Rights. Incumbent President Edgar Lungu is seeking a fresh term. His bid, however, has been set back after his former vice president, Guy Scott, endorsed his opponent, Hakainde Hichilema. These elections have been tightly contested and marred by violence. Edgar Lungu narrowly defeated Hakainde Hichilema 19 months ago in a presidential by-election after the death of President Michael Sata. South Sudan has rejected a U.S. proposal for the U.N. Security Council to send 4,000 additional troops to the East African country to restore calm. Government spokesperson Michael Marquis says the proposal gives the U.N. the ability to govern. The proposal also calls for a vote on an arms embargo on South Sudan. If U.N. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon reports within a month that authorities have blocked the regional force, the Security Council could vote on Friday on the proposal, which comes after a former U.S. special envoy suggested the U.N. and A.U. temporarily administer the country after fighting broke out once again. U.N. 
Humanitarian coordinator Stephen O'Brien, meanwhile, says areas of South Sudan that were beacons of hope just a year ago are now murdered in conflict or facing severe food insecurity. O'Brien was speaking at a briefing on his recent visit to the country, which took him to the northwestern cities of Wau and Awel. South Sudan became independent five years ago, making it the world's youngest nation. However, many of those years have been marred by fighting between forces loyal to the president and his former deputy, forcing more than two million people to flee their homes. O'Brien speaks on his visit. In July 2015, both of these locations were seen as beacons of hope and prospects for development. Today, one is mired in conflict and the other is facing the worst food insecurity it has seen in many, many years and is at real risk of getting worse despite the incredible work of humanitarian organisations. Canadian media say police have shot dead and alleged IS sympathizer was about to activate an explosive device in a public space. Police have not confirmed any death but say there was a potential terror threat. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police say a suspect was identified and the proper cause of action was taken. The reports say the, 20, the suspect was a 24-year-old man who had been arrested last year for expressing support for the Islamic State group in postings on social media. And finally, the South African government has given the government of Zimbabwe the go-ahead to start issuing passports, birth certificates and national identity cards to Zimbabweans residing in South Africa. The documents will be issued in selected points yet to be identified by the South African authorities. The exercise is to ensure that Zimbabweans living in the diaspora are in possession of all valuable valid documents. Recapping the top story, Zambians vote in what's expected to be a bruising battle. South Sudan rejects the U.S. proposal to send more peacekeepers to that country and a terrorist suspect is killed by Canadian police after receiving a terrorist threat to off. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. Thank you to Anne Musa, the beautiful Anne Musa. She's got a beautiful head wrap, very African prince, looking fantastic today, our news reader. Yes, you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on uh, Channel 802 on the audio bouquet, and uh, we're on uh, shortwave. That's our main service into the continent of Africa, and there you can listen to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. We also online on www.channelafrica.co.za where you can stream us live. Well, today is one of those exciting programs where we look at Youth International Day, which is taking place tomorrow. And what's interesting about the continent when it comes to young people is that Sub-Saharan Africa is the fastest population growth protected between now and 2015 and the highest youth population in the world. With struggling economies, Africa has to invest in mobilizing its youth to participate in the economies. And governments on the continent have no choice now but to factor the youth population into its social development agenda. 
with challenges of unemployment, countries such as South Africa with almost 50% of unemployed youth and Nigeria's 13%, there is no doubt that entrepreneurship and innovative employment strategies need to to be employed. So we're going to be looking at that space that we find ourselves in where how do we actually create and improve uh, entrepreneurship within youth culture. And later on, you know, what is the youth's role and the development agenda on the continent? Starting us up with this conversation is uh, Catherine Weinberg, who is the CEO of Fitola. And we also have on the line Teboho uh, Nguanyana. Uh, now, we're looking at the work that they're doing via the SAB Foundation Toluana Enterprise Development Program, which is a two-year program offering specialized business mentorship, workshops, e-learning modules, as well as investment readiness in terms of support. And the focus is on small entrepreneurs in rural and peri-urban areas, as well as businesses that support who are owned by youth, women, and people living with disabilities. So our focus today will be with young people. And let's start with you, uh, Catherine Weinberg, in terms of your company, Fitola. How are you uh, part of this particular program? Before we speak to the young person, uh, Deboho, to see more about his business. Uh, hi there. Morning to you, uh, Benjamin. Um, yes, Fatola are the implementers of the uh, SAB Foundation Tolawana program. So we are effectively the business support partners. We're the business growth professionals that work alongside, or, um, alongside the SAB Foundation to find uh, really promising uh, youth businesses and uh, to help them to grow. Tell us a little bit about how this idea came about because it's a very unique concept to actually focus on rural and peri-urban uh, businesses uh, because those areas are very challenging in terms of the dynamics of uh, their economies. Why those particular form of businesses in those locations geographically? That's actually a very good question. Um, for Tola, when we started uh, 10 years ago, we noticed that there was a disconnect between what people said that they said they were doing and what was actually happening in practice, and we found that uh, that people would say they were they were all for um, inclusive growth and they were all for uh, supporting rural development, but all of the support that was offered was was city based, mm-hmm. and so we started with a strategy way back in 2007 to say that. Uh, we feel that it's our role um, to support the growth of any business anywhere in South Africa. And so over the years, we've developed uh, strategies and, and uh, competencies that allow us to, uh, to, to help these businesses. Mm. Now, let me move on to our young entrepreneurs here in terms of uh, the work that they are doing. Let's start with you, Debo Hongkwanyana. You run a, a salad lab in Standardton in Pumalang, a business that packages fresh vegetables and salads for caterers and home chefs. Uh, you've also made strides in your business since commencing the program, which is a part of what we're talking about. Tell us a little bit about uh, why you started this very unique business salad lab, packaging fresh vegetables and salads. Very unique, Deboho. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Benjamin. Basically, the idea came, ac- came about in the town where we live in, there were quite a few factories closing down, so people were losing jobs. And um, I certainly thought that there must be a way that we can actually give back to the community. So we came up with an idea that could actually create a lot of uh, jobs as opposed to just creating one or two jobs. So um, I decided that I'm going to get into the agro-processing business 
basically transforming uh, vegetables into into salads and prepacked vegetables for your household chefs and also for your commercial canteens and also retail stores and for the consumers out there because we felt that um, at the end of the day, sometimes people see it as being expensive to buy prepacked vegetables. So we wanted to bridge the gap for the entire community mm-hmm. to have access to these lovely products that we produce and also at the same time really giving back to the community by creating quite a number of jobs in the process. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the starting process for you. I like the name Salad Lab. It's kind of accessible. It's almost like a, uh, you can take this business anywhere because it kind of opens the door for you. But for you to start this kind of concept, what did it take for you as a young person? And how challenging was it for you to say, I'm going on my own and I'm going to start up a business as a young person in my community? Uh, it was very daunting uh, at the beginning because, I mean, coming out of the formal employment sector and now saying you want to branch out and be on your own, it was daunting in a sense that it's something that you've never done before. You're scared, you've got fear to actually start. But the support structure that I had where I had my family who believed in me, who believed that I could make it, and also being motivated myself and disciplined to actually carry myself through to the starting process and also doing a bit of research in terms of what it is that I need to do to start and what it is that I need to do to grow. So alone, I couldn't have done it, but with the support structures from my family and also being part of the SAB Fatola Tulana program, they have helped us a lot because as a business owner, sometimes we sit and think that to start a business, you need um, a lot of money. But when you come in touch with the support structures, the likes of Fatula and family members, they can actually show you that you just have to take that first step it wasn't very, very difficult, mm. so I was able to overcome my fears very quickly mm. because I had support structures who actually made me realize that you can do it. Well, lucky you that you had those support structures, and I think that's what is, needs to be done where we create a space for young people to have that support structure. Let me move on to you, Andy Lekumbi. He's joining us on the line. He runs a video company in Durban, KwaZulu-Natal. He recently won 600,000 rands for Best Entrepreneur, and also he's been really part of the Twalana project in terms of uh, his uh, proactive marketing of his work and new contracts to shoot some series as well for his video company. Tell us a little bit about your video company. Am I saying it right, the name? Nyachengos. Is that right, Antile? Yes, <laughs> okay. Yes, yes. Tell, us how, tell us what does that mean, Nyachengos. It's very interesting. Nyachengos is a name that uh, it was from my last name from my father's ah. and so basically it's my grandfather's name okay. so the name came after him so I named the company after him so Nyachengos now it's it's the name of my company it's a, it's a video production okay fantastic production company and tell us a little yeah. bit, Andil, I was speaking to Deboche, as you've heard there, in terms of starting your own company. I mean, you in Durban, KwaZulu-Natal, a video company is a very unique type of a company. And I think it's great to be speaking to you guys because you're finding alternative forms of businesses. Why did you go for a video company? Um, I would like to, to thank you for this opportunity. And uh, I would also like to greet your, the listeners. But uh, the company of running the media company, it's, 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 it wasn't really easy to start with it. But it was, it was a dream that I have since I was young. Because basically, I started liking the technology from high school. 
So from there, uh, I had a, a dream of having a business, but I didn't know exactly which business to go to. Mm. So uh, I went to school and I started some business studies, mm. and then through the like, through the passion of having, of liking the technology, and me with the cameras in school, and I started taking pictures in school, and I thought to myself, okay, because I like to be in the business, so basically the industry that I like is the media, so the multimedia, because mm-hmm. I like the camera. Mm-hmm. So I started to to learn more about business, and I started the company in 2012, and it was really, really challenging because we didn't have funds, and mm. we didn't have a good place to operate in, and in 2012, I got a place in Smart Exchange in Devon, and there was a small program there, and I went there, and I learned a lot about the business, and then, uh, but still, it was, it was a big challenge, because some of other things, you, you can't get it correctly, especially if you don't have a good cash flow, and there was a company called... Um, NYPA, mm. uh, it was a program, and I went there, and I got more information, and I got to SAB, and yeah. SAB is really, really helping us a lot together with Fetola, because mm. Fetola is running a really good program, and in fact, uh, I think they are the one of the most powerful tools in the whole of South Africa, and I just wish that all young people that can find more about Fitola because mm-hmm. these guys are giving us a good tool to operate a good model business. Mm. Let me come back to Catherine and I'll come back to both of you Andil and Deboho in terms of the work that you're doing. What I'm also finding interesting is the, the fact that you know we need some form of cushioning for young entrepreneurships and, and, and the big challenge comes from the space whereby um, Catherine we we're seeing that there's a growing population which is a challenge for the continent itself, especially when it comes to infrastructure, the subsidies for sectors and creating jobs, for example, just deep structural issues. How important is programs such as these to actually create a form of support and structural kind of guidance for young entrepreneurs, Catherine? Um, yes, thank you. I mean, I think that the first thing is with the SAB Foundation Tolerana program is that it's a very unique concept and really testament to the uh, to the enthusiasm and vision of the of the SAB Foundation. And what they've done is that in the past they used to just give grants, and what they realised is that the long term effectiveness of just making money available to businesses is far less than the long-term impact of providing good quality professional business support services. And so what's exciting about this program is the combination both of sufficient grant funding in early stage business to get a business, uh, uh, to, get, to give them what they need to get going. But really, um, as um, Andila has said, it's actually the business support. It's being able to stand by a professional that knows what they're doing to help a, y- a young person move forward. And then the second thing, to come back to your concept, your, 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 your subject of youth, personally I find it's the most exciting thing happening in South Africa at the moment and no doubt through the rest of Africa as well. I mean, our youth are incredible. They're incredibly talented, they're passionate, and they are the future. So I'm absolutely 100% behind supporting youth business 
uh, capturing that passion, capturing that enthusiasm, providing the wealth of experience from the older population that have been through the, been on this road before. And so it's the marrying of that young, uh, those young new ideas, those fresh thinking, um, uh, and with uh, with some stability of uh, uh, you know of proven systems that really is the secret to making a big difference in Africa um, as a whole. Well, I want to come back uh, to both of you, um, Andy Lentebuch. And let me start with you, Andy, this part of the conversation before we wrap up the conversation. In terms of the role that young people play in the context of the development of the continent, how important are young people in the participation of the economy? Because we're seeing a huge uh, space whereby most young people are unemployed. How important is it that they have to become more innovative to create a space whereby they can become entrepreneurs? Uh, I personally think it is very, very important as, 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 young, as a young entrepreneurs or as a young guy to, to start a business for yourself because basically you find people are going to, to tertiaries and after that they would sit with their degrees or diplomas but they have a skill. So it, it's really good to start a business because you have a skill but because you have a lot of energy as a young person. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it, it's really good to use that energy something that's constructive and something that will build a nation mm. and grow our economy in South Africa. So it, it's really, really important for, for young people to be in a business because mm. it, we are the future of this country also. Mm. And coming back to you, Tebuho, your, your view about us as young people being more creative, being more innovative, about starting up businesses as young people and not always just relying on being employed or wanting a handout, how important is it for us to start imagining the world that we want to create in our communities? I mean, the salad lab is such a simple concept, packaging fresh vegetables and salads. But I think what actually actually propels your idea is your bravery. So how important is it for us to just start taking chances, Deboche, as young people? I think it's uh, very important because if you look at the unemployment rate in the country and in the world in general, young people have got the power and capabilities of turning things around. If you just uh, look at the playing field, the big corporates we see in the country and in the world today was started by the youth of that particular time in the 1950s, the youth of 1950s, 1960s. They all started to speak corporates that we see today. So as uh, a youth, uh, we're very, very important into making sure that we turn things around for the better. Instead of sitting and waiting for something to happen, we are capable of actually going out there and making things happen. And it all starts with uh, that bravery to start, you know, take that first step and take yourself somewhere. It does not need to be uh, a certain destination where you are going to, but just taking that leap of faith and going in and saying you want to make a difference, you want to make a change to the community at large. I think it's quite important for us as youth to, to think like that and to channel ourselves and push ourselves to achieve more in that aspect. Well, thank you guys for giving us your time. Your final sentiments, Catherine, in terms of uh, just uh, the idea of youth entrepreneurship and its importance on the continent, and also just uh, the work that the SAB Foundation Toluan Enterprise Development Program is up to. Maybe you could uh, wrap it up for us. Absolutely. I think the first thing I'd like to really give a message to the youth, 
and that is just get started. You know, the big, a good business sol- uh, starts when you notice a problem that needs to be solved. Um, and then just get going. Uh, the earlier you get going, the better. Um, you know, learn, start small, uh, learn and grow. There's going to be challenges along the way. There's always highs and lows. Um, but, yep, just do it. You know, that, that typical Nike uh, saying, just do it. Just <laughs> yeah. jump in and get going. You know, it sure. doesn't, most businesses don't take a whole pot of money. They take an idea and, and passion. Um, and then maybe pooling resources, you know, getting family and friends to dip in a little bit of money. But just, just get going. Just do it. Um, Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much, Catherine, for giving us your time. That was Catherine Weinberg, who is the CEO of Fitola, and they're part of facilitating the SAB Foundation Tuluana Enterprise Development Program, which is a two-year program offering specialized business mentorship, workshops, e-learning modules. When I saw uh, just how they work, I was like, we need to get these guys into our program. Thank you as well to Andy Legumbi, who runs Nyachengos, a video company in Durban and KwaZulu-Natal. Thank you to you, Debucho Nguanya who runs the salad lab in Standerton, Bumalanga, and he packages fresh vegetables and salads for caterers and home chefs. That's how we're going to wrap up this uh, part of our conversation. We'll continue uh, the conversation of Youth International Day and uh, really now speak about, you know, innovative of ideas of how young people can participate in their economies. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back. Join prominent leaders in business and government at the Top Women Conference as they unveil some of the most successful stories and strategies implemented around the empowerment of women in Africa. Conference will focus on how we can implement 50-50 gender parity by 2030. This takes place on August 17 and 18 at the Empress Palace in Johannesburg, South Africa. The conference brings together decision makers and leaders who are serious about delivering results. Are you one of them? If you are, then book now by visiting www.topwomenconference.co.za. That address again, www.topwomenconference.co.za. Code Channel Africa to get your free copy of Top Women in Business and Government Publication. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Give her freedom and equality, she's got the right to be. Woman got the right to be. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Today we're looking at Youth International Day, which is tomorrow. We don't have a program tomorrow since we run from Monday to Thursday. So we thought this was a very important conversation because the youth can be actually mobilized or should be mobilized rather on the African continent really to excel and really fast track the development agenda for the continent. And this is Women's Month. So and I'm next segment we're going to speak about you know the role of young uh, you know women within the context of uh, the continent and its development we're joined on the line by uh, primrose binha who is a master's student uh, who is really much experienced in non-governmental organizations intergovernmental organization sectors she's conducted research on global issues such as international migration human rights issues and african development she's been part of the united nations association of South Africa, which is part of the University of Cape Town. So she has a lot of kind of international relations experience. So we're going to bring her in into our conversation. Primrose, thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for having me, Benjamin. 
Fantastic. You know, you've got such a big profile for a young person, and that's what kind of attracted us to speak to you because you've done so many things at such a young age. And in terms of the issue in the area that we're talking about right now in terms of young women, because this is a Women's Month, how important do you think they are in the development agenda for the continent? Um, I think young women are one of the most important groups of people that we really need to engage, especially moving forward the sustainable development goals that have been set for 2030, because with women being incorporated into education, into employment, and multiple sectors, we're able to get more people to engage in diverse work environments. And there's all the skills that need to be gained from women that are in industries where men have previously dominated. And as we move forward trying to achieve gender justice, having women is definitely a positive. Mm. And in terms of the challenges for young people, especially in terms of the issue that we've been talking about on the continent of Africa, I know that it's a, it's a huge issue for South Africa and any, every other African countries is young people's access to education because you can't really be part of a development agenda if you don't have access to education or that economy. And the best way to have access to an economy is through education. Where do you think we are, Primrose, when it comes to that issue of access to education? Affordability seems to be a big kind of topic right now, a hot potato issue, especially in countries such as South Africa. Definitely. I think in terms of access to education, most sub-Saharan countries, including South Africa, have done well, especially at primary school level. But we see that as we go up, there's a lot of high school dropouts, particularly with the girl child, obviously. And because of lack of finance, many people cannot access tertiary education, which is why we saw, for example, the Seasonous Fall protest in the previous year. And on top of that, apart from not having access to tertiary education, we see that those who do have access but are from maybe lower social or economic backgrounds still find it difficult to get into working sectors, especially in the formal sector. So definitely in terms of education, we need to build up on that by making sure that the youth that we're educating for tomorrow actually have access to employment opportunities and that the education that they get is quality level from the beginning. So, for example, one of the main reasons why some people cannot access tertiary education is, of course, because they they access poor primary and secondary schooling, which prepares them in a very, very, very inadequate way for tertiary schooling. Mm, mm. And, and and also, they're all, they're, I'm interested in that kind of issue because sometimes the issue of excess comes uh, in a very interesting way. Is it because of our colonial history that we haven't actually uh, done kind of a lot of work in terms of creating that kind of excess much more easier? Or is it because systematically it just can't be done because education has become so expensive? Um, In terms of looking at our historical past and moving on within an African context, I do believe that so much still needs to be done in terms of, for example, looking at how we need to take our education system to the needs of Africa, for example. So maybe in the past, like the colonial education was mostly tailored to privilege maybe white colonialists and their development agenda or their economic agenda. And we've not sort of like tried to 
tailor our education systems and needs towards what we need to achieve or what we need to build upon within our context. So, for example, there comes the issue of decolonization and the issue of the use of languages. Because we see that, for example, some people within African context still come from rural backgrounds where you're first taught in the primary home language, which is often an African language. So, obviously, as you go up the ladder, you need to have good working knowledge of English, you need to be literate in other formal languages like French and etc. So I think one of the barriers is that we've never been able to sort of like align our indigenous needs to what we need for African education and development. Mm. And it's also very interesting to see where we are as young people, Primrose, in terms of the youth population. You know, when we look at the AU or the UN figures, rather, we see that Sub-Saharan Africa has the fastest uh, uh, population growth uh, projected now, and the highest youth population in the world is within Sub-Saharan Africa. But we've got the big challenge of unemployment that seems to be one that is actually affecting uh, young people in a big way. How do we actually overcome that? We were speaking about young entrepreneurship earlier on. We were just speaking with young entrepreneurs. But you need to stimulate a good environment for that to actually take place. I really think that entrepreneurship is one of the ways that we can um, tackle the issue of um, lack of access to working opportunities. But it it is definitely not the only way because we see that with entrepreneurship, personally, I don't think it's meant for everyone. We also do have young people that are really willing to get into industries where they can contribute to their own society's development through, for example, access to education and science, technology, the arts also included because they're often overlooked. And I do believe that um, apart from promoting finance and access to funding for entrepreneurship projects, we also sort of like have to stimulate this um, sort of programs where we know that people have channels which they can follow into the working world straight from university. So, for example, I know some countries like Nigeria have a project where after university or high school, you have to sort of like perform some form of youth service. And when you do such um, projects, maybe that's how you get exposed to your sustainable development goals. And that's how you get like maybe niche areas where you feel like you can invest more in terms of um, skills and acquired knowledge as the youth because the knowledge we're acquiring from books I definitely believe that it leaves a large gap that needs to be filled up with practical work Mm. Well, I'm going to take a, a quick break. Stay with me there. We're speaking to Primrose Benya, who is a master's student, really focusing on international affairs. And I, I want to speak about that issue of where we are in terms of a globalized world, in terms of the youth dynamics, because we live in such a small space and we know everything is accessible today for young people. And I want to come up to that dynamic in terms of excess and how smaller the world is and you know what new opportunities we have on the continent. Hey, we celebrate Celebrating Youth International Day before the day, since we don't have a program on Friday. What are your thoughts in terms of the potential of young people on the African continent? Uh, give us your views by SMSing us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. We'll continue our conversation on young people on the African continent after this. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. 
Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And hey, it's Women's Month as well. Since we're focusing on uh, Youth International Day, we thought, hey, let's get uh, uh, women also to come into this conversation, young women, really about where we are on the continent in terms of the development agenda that we need to pioneer as young people. We've been speaking uh, to Primrose Benia, who is a master's student and uh, focusing on international affairs. Now we've been joined by Samantha and Diwala, uh, Diwalana, rather, uh, who is a project manager at Building Bridges Foundation. She's also worked as a fellow at the Association of Ellen Gray. And thank you, Samantha, for giving us your time as well. Um, um, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for the introduction. I'm happy to I'm happy to be here. Well, Samantha, we've been speaking with Primrose about really where we are as young people in terms of how do we actually fast track uh, the involvement of young people in our economies. I know that you also work in terms of connecting young entrepreneurs and uh, making sure mm-hmm. that we foster youth employment. I know there's a big issue that we've been talking about, how youth unemployment mm-hmm. is one of the big challenges on the continent. How do we turn things around? How do we become more creators, creative as African governments, as a society? Um, I think one of the best places to start would be by engaging with the youth and listening to the youth. Because as a nation, as South Africa, we have a lot of policy in place. There's the new growth path, there's the national development plan. So there's a lot of policy in place that's looking at economic development and that has parts which have a special focus on the youth. But one of the key issues there is to figure out whether this policy that's been put in place to help the youth is actually putting forward solutions that are youth-focused and that address real issues that the youth themselves feel that they're facing. Because if that's not the case, then we'll find that there's a real disconnect and it can sometimes happen that programs you put in place to help the youth wouldn't, won't be taken up because those aren't the issues they feel that they are facing at the time. Those aren't the issues that they feel need to be mm-hmm. addressed. Mm-hmm. So I would think that one of the best places would start would to start would be with some solid youth engagement. Mm. And also, the big area where we were also speaking about with uh, uh, Primrose was the, the, the involvement of young women in economies and yes. making sure that we stimulate that as well. Because we know that sometimes young women can find themselves in the peripheries of African societies. Yes. Yes, of course. That um, is a that is a major issue, and um, and it's something that needs to be addressed, especially because we're in um, Women's Month as it stands. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to come back to you, Primrose, in terms of, uh, you know, in a globalized space, you know, how should we actually, we have more opportunities now as young people with social media and all sorts of things. We've got access, but that access is not for everyone. We know that for sure. But how do we actually become more creative in the ways that we innovate our participation in such a globalized world, uh, Primrose? 
Um, I think engaging the youth in terms of in a very creative way so that their voices are actually heard and not um, just celebrated. We need to create more decision-making platforms where we ensure that whatever decisions that youth come up with and maybe during their youth forums or maybe during their conferences actually taken up to big decision tables. So, for example, having stronger youth branches of the African Union, of our national government, that actually um, holds the government accountable when we see that um, certain objectives that we sat down with them and spoke about have not actually been achieved. And also, I think with the youth of South Africa, we all agree that there's nothing about us without us. So, for example, last year, the government had to end up engaging with the youth who were part of the FISMAS 4 to actually get to know better what's happening within the education system, what really are our youth crying out about. And it was only through that they were able to actually come to a good agreement in terms of creating um, a platform where youth voices were actually heard and um, their concerns were actually taken forward. Mm. Your thoughts there, um, uh, Samantha, in terms of how we can be more creative in making sure that that concern you are highlighting, that young people are heard. Um, we've, we've heard from Primrose actually creating maybe establishments even within our African unions to actually accommodate their voices. Uh, your thoughts there, Samantha? Um, yeah, I agree with what Primrose said, and I think that those are some very creative ideas that she's put forward. And I think other ways um, to do it could be online, to have online engagement. Sure, sure. And one of the ways we can have sure. more online engagement across different platforms would be by improving access to the Internet, improving access to Wi-Fi sure. and those kinds of things, because we would find that if programs like that are put in place, not only would it help with youth engagement because people can interact with the issues such as Christmas for last year, a lot of it was happening over Twitter and Facebook. Sure. So if you want to know what's going on, if you want to interact with the youth, if you as a youth in one corner of the country want to interact with youth in another corner of the country, then social media is one of the big ways that it's happening at the moment. And if you don't have access to those spaces, then you can easily find yourself being excluded. So mm-hmm. I would say that um, access to the internet access to Wi-Fi would be one way to do it. And then again, um, touching on what Primrose said with community forums. Mm -hmm. So this is one area which which Mm. stuff has started to feel a bit outdated, shall I say, because in different communities, you do have community centers, which do host um, community forums trying to engage with the youth. But the way in which they're doing it, there seems to be a disconnect because even though those spaces are there, you find less and less youth are willing or open to engage in those spaces. Mm. So there needs to be some type of turnaround in there to attract more young people. And then this again will come through engaging with the youth and seeing what they actually need. So what do they actually need at this community center that would 
things that would attract them to come and to start participating and then from there join the youth forums and start mm. engaging. Mm. While you're speaking about engaging, I've been thinking about the issue of public participation in terms of governance a lot, especially post-South Africa's uh, elections. And uh, it seems like um, the, 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 the youth vote was also big this year. Everyone was talking about the youth vote and how essential that one is going to be. And coming back to you, Primrose, they always come to us when they want the vote. But when it comes to real public engagement in how governments perform or how governments operate, the young voice is always sidelined. How can we change and turn that around? Primrose, are you there? Hello? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you hear my question? Um, can you please... Um Okay, so um, I was just speaking about public participation in government in terms of how can we also change that around because sometimes they want our vote, but post their elections, uh, you never hear actually wanting innovative ideas from young people. So how do governments, African governments, engage better with young people in the governing process? I think in the governing process, definitely, like a lot of transformation still needs to be done and even though we have, for example, traditional systems that I was talking about that we've seen that do not work effectively, we still need to find ways of creatively making those spaces more safe and open to the youth. So I definitely think that introduction of perhaps, for example, you have a youth consultative forum that speaks directly to the office of the presidency or to the department that caters for the youth is definitely one of the ways that we can tackle that. And having such a group of young people working with the leadership, hopefully if they're definitely for the youth, they'll go out there and do their research and bring forth the recommendations that come from different youth who represent different um, political interests and even those that identify as apolitical. Mm. Because we do need to reach out to the governance system. And apart from having social media spaces where we are quite vocal, the government often sidelines that and we definitely need to find ways that we can get to the top. And that also includes having the top people actually welcoming the youth voice because mm. without us, they definitely cannot move forward. Mm. And in your final sentiments there, Samantha, on uh, governance and, and, and youth involvement, just in 30 seconds so we can wrap it up? Um, yes, so... Touching on what Primrose was speaking about, making safe spaces, this is something that's very important for the youth and for women of all ages when trying to engage in public discourse. So that's something that I think needs to be addressed. And um, I agree that young people and women need to be put in these positions, but something that's very important along with making it a safe space is to make sure that they're not just there for a figurehead. So they have a real say, they have real power, their opinions are taken seriously, their contributions matter. Once we can get that in place, then I think we'll start seeing some real changes. Well, fantastic. It's been so cool speaking to you guys. Thank you for participating on our program. Thank you to Samantha Dilwalana, who is a fellow associate of the Association of Ellen Gray. Uh, she's also a project manager at B- B- uh, Building Bridges Foundation. And thank you as well to Primrose uh, uh, Benha, who is a master's student at the University of uh, Cape Town. She does so many things, I can't even list them because uh, I'll run out of time. But uh, thank you both for giving us your time thank you very much
Fantastic. What do you think about the young voice? It's great to hear those voices coming through. And the, the future is great for the continent. So give us your thoughts. Uh, SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's how we wrap up the conversation. Wisani Matebula is standing by. He'll give us our economics news. Thanks, Benjamin. Good morning. South African Power Utility, ESCOM, and the National Union of Mine Workers are back at the mediation table with uh, the CCMA for formal negotiations. NUM maintains its members will continue with industrial action at the power utility. More than 15,000 members of the union have done tools demanding higher wages. ESCOM says uh, the strike will not affect its power stations but will cause delays in its response to call-outs. NUM's chief negotiator at ESCOM, Helen Diadile. They left CMA last month with good intentions of us putting a possible offer to the CMA commissioner. Had they have taken that, it was something that we could have gone back to our members and tried to sell. We have expressed that with our leadership, that this is what has happened. So for them to engage ESCOM is just to play uh, level fields that we are able to engage in the negotiation um, with good intentions. There are mixed reactions following Cameroon's admission to the Economic Partnership Agreement. The EPA creates a free trade area between Europe, Africa and the Caribbean and Pacific Group states. Cameroon has disobeyed guidelines given by the Sixth Nation Central African Economic and Monetary Community and becomes the first Central African state to implement the agreement. Muki Kinzeka reporting Yawonde. Civil society activists have been using any available opportunity at media houses, street corners, and amphitheaters to complain that the voluntary economic partnership agreements with the European Union do not favor Cameroon. And Ghana's annual consumer price inflation has dropped to 16.7% in July from 18.4% in June. The country has enjoyed general price stability this year compared to last year when water tariffs increased 15% and petroleum prices also increased significantly. Government statistician Pilomena Nyako says the main reason they are seeing a drop in July is as a result of base drift and seasonality effects. And the Nigerian Nara appreciated against the US dollar at the parallel market. The currency on Wednesday afternoon gained five points to the US dollar. The Naira also hedged against the pound sterling and the euro. Central African Republic, rather now, uh, the Bank of Kigali board uh, chairperson Mark Holtzman says banks could cut interest rates to attract new customers and support growth of the financial sector. He says offering low interest rates will not only attract more customers, but also strengthen the country's financial sector. Holtzman was speaking during the presentation of the lender's financial statement for the second quarter of the year in Rwanda's capital, Kigali. Financial indicators, the dollar at 13.33, South African rands at 10.23, Botswana Pula and 10.26, Zambian Kwacha also trading at 0.76 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. Commodities, uh, gold is at $1,342, platinum $1,168 per fine ounce, 
Brent crude oil is now trading at $43.85 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. I'm back in an hour's time with another update. Well, it's time for us to move on and get our sports. We've got Figzozo. That's Figzozo. In our sports update this hour, a court has ordered Kenya's athletics manager, who was sent home from Rio Olympics to be held by police for four weeks, as they investigate allegations that he had warned athletes about drug tests in return for cash. Michael Rotich has denied the accusation published in Britain's Sunday Times newspaper, which said he had been filmed by undercover journalists posing as athlete representatives some months ago. The police, who arrested Rotich on his return from Rio de Janeiro on Tuesday, requested he be held for 28 days, saying the investigation was incomplete and requires more time. The court approved the request. Rotich had made a request to be released on bail, but this was turned down. He has not been formally charged. And the IOC President Thomas Bach spoke of the importance of empowering women at an event on the sidelines of the 2016 Rio Olympics focused on helping female athletes transition from sport to other fields last night. Bach says... Just like in the Olympics, all organizations should be inclusive to women. When we speak about women in sport as a somehow uh, exotic uh, issue, uh, but we have to realize that uh, this is not just a, a women's uh, issue, uh, because uh, uh, this is about uh, the Olympic principles, uh, this is about uh, a human right, and it's about, in the end, it is about logic. Uh, because no society, uh, no country, uh, no organization uh, can be successful if uh, you ignore 50% of the intelligence uh, you have uh, available. The event Women Fast Forward was hosted by the World Olympians Association and EY and included a handful of former Olympian and other athletes, both male and female, who have transitioned into the business world and other fields following their sporting careers. Bach says the IOC has made advancements in closing the parity gap between male and female athletes participating in the Olympics with the Rio Games featuring 46% female athletes. Now, uh, here in Rio, we have a participation of 46% uh, percent, uh, women. And the difference to, to the 50% uh, is uh, mainly only to the fact of uh, team sports. That uh, in, in some team sports, we do not have uh, the wide international representation of women yet, as uh, we have in, uh, in, in, in men's teams. But in the, in the individual uh, disciplines, uh, we, are, we are there, more or less, with uh, very few exceptions. And finally, with golf news, 60 professional golfers from 34 countries will make their Olympic debut during the Games. Brendan Stone and Jakob Fansen will represent South Africa. 
Golf returns to the Olympics after 112 years of absence. Stone expressed his excitement for the opportunity to represent his country. To be part of this environment and be surrounded by these these athletes is obviously maybe not a dream come true, but a definitely a, a special occasion for me. Three, four years ago, I wasn't planning on being in the Olympic Games, but to be here now is invaluable to me. It's been an incredible experience, and I'm looking forward to the next few days where I get to compete against the top golfers in the world. That's your sport news this hour. Well, that's how we wrap up our conversation. Well, it's the end of the week for us, so we'll be back on Monday. Remember, you can join us at 1100 hours Central African time. You're welcome to interact with us via Twitter at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. At African Dialogue is the Twitter handle for our program, at African Dialogue. Or you can also find us on Facebook at Channel Africa. That's the simple name of the page, Channel Africa. And remember, we want to hear from you. Tell us what you think of our program. Tell us what you think of about our topics. You can email us at info at channelafrica.org or you can SMS us your thoughts on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Well, we're going to wrap it up with uh, very much a vibrant uh, band. They were young at the time and I uh, thought that it's fantastic to hear them. Bongo Muffin, Sia uh, Jabula. Until next time, God bless. Yeah, 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 yeah